Think about the last year and how unlikely it is that you're here in this moment. Father, we are so grateful. We don't take it for granted. We have been in hospital beds and we have been at funerals and we have seen the news of those who are not here in this moment. And because we are here, God, not because we deserve it, but because you saw fit, we just shout, thank you. We say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take your seats. If you're online, just put thank you in the chat, because my goodness, if you think long enough about the last 12 months, the last, the last two weeks, it seems more and more unlikely every year that God would see fit to bring us into a new season. And I'm, I'm old enough to remember when 2023 sounded like the future. I mean, we were buying water bottles at Y2K because we were like, the earth is going to run out of water. You won't be able to drive your car. I mean, I remember the year 2000, which many of you were not even born then. Some of you were. But I remember when, when, that, when that happened, and that was a big ordeal. And you were like, oh, Lord, we've seen the future. And now here we are in 2023. It sounds crazy saying it. I'm talking to my 95-year-old grandmother. And like she says, if you just keep living... <laughs> Listen, you'll get some perspective, and all of a sudden, the things that you want and the things that seem so important, the things that seemed critical last year, like, I, I have to have this, God, and here you are today, and even if he didn't give the thing you wanted, you're here, and all of a sudden, that thing don't seem so important anymore, and so we're just grateful, we're starting off the year with gratitude. And I want to encourage you for a little bit. Now, encouragement, y'all know uh, I love the word of God. My encouragement is not always excitement. My friend told me, she said, I love how you just kind of gut punch and then tell me a joke. I walked to my car and I'm like, I don't know what just happened. And so um, uh, I love the word of God. I, it tends to gut punch me. And so I am thrilled to share the gut punch that, that God has given, has given to me. And so online, you can just put gut punch, get ready. Y'all cozy anyway, so you can take it. Um, but here's the thing. I, my, my kids and I, we like this show on Netflix called Is It Cake? Have y'all seen this show? It's amazing. Not because we can bake, but we just like cake. And so um, we watch this show, and the whole premise of the show is that they have these, you know, expert bakers, and they come into the place, and their, their goal is to try to create a cake that looks like some other real-life object. And the objects get more and more complicated. And so sometimes it's a purse. Sometimes it's a stack of books. Uh, one time it was a set of knives. One time, it was a stack of money, and I was like, oh, Lord, please don't cut the money. And so, uh, but they, they make up all these objects, and then the bakers are challenged with trying to create a cake that looks so much like the real object that you cannot tell the difference. And so they are assessed, their skills are assessed by judges who look at the real thing next to the cake, not knowing which is which, to try to figure out which is the cake. And it's fascinating to me because it's not until the knife goes through the cake that you know which is which. A lot of times they look so similar, you can't tell which is which. And I mean, they have, manifest, they have created the details. It looks so real. There have been times where the judges picked the real item and thought it was the cake because of how realistic the cake looked. But what I find to be true is it doesn't matter how good it looks, 
how long people stare at it, how long they try to walk around it and compare the details. The test is not really complete. The truth can't be revealed until the knife slices. Because it is when the knife slices the thing that you know what it's made of. And so in 2023, I want to encourage you today. Ask yourself this question. What am I made of when the knife of life slices? Because I promise you, even though we're glad to be here, we don't know what the year holds. And life brings nothing but cuts and slices. But the question is, what are you made of? Are you made of the real object that actually serves a function? Are you made of the cake that might win that competition but doesn't do anybody any good? The knife of life is coming, y'all. And I've seen it come in rapid fire in these last few weeks. You cannot be on social media or watch the news without watching some kind of destruction, some kind of death. Suicide seems to be the new tool of the enemy, like just convincing people to take their lives. And I'm saying the knife of life is coming. But the word of the Lord has an encouragement for you. And it's a verse that many of us have probably used a million times over. You probably have it on a t-shirt, maybe a tote bag. It might be your screensaver if you're extra spiritual. But I want to give it to you in a context today so that in isolation, it might make you feel good. But in the context of this message, it's going to do you good. God has a word for you. And so if you have a moment, you can turn with me to Jeremiah 29, 11. And for those of y'all that are uh, just watching today, I know you left your Bible at home and we'll have it next week. But we have the technology for the saints who like to just, who like to just read. We're going to start at 29, verse 1. We're going to start at 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 4. We're going to skip to verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent. Y'all say, I have sent. Into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. But that's not all. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Listen, here's the thing. 2023, if you just on this earth, you're in some form of exile. Because we are not living the ideal life. We haven't been living that since the garden. But there is an encouragement in Jeremiah 29. And before you jump to verse 11, if you understand the message that God has for those people, this is going to be the thing that can be hope for you in hard times. Hope in hard times is really the goal of today's message. The words of this letter are from the prophet Jeremiah, y'all, and he was called the weeping prophet. And I think it's fascinating that Jeremiah had this had this uh, identity attached to him. He's also the writer of Lamentations, you know, we, the idea of lamenting. I mean, Jeremiah was an expert. But it's because the things that God had given him to say to the people were not positive. They were judgment. He was a weeping prophet because he understood the weight of what was coming. I'm wondering today how many weeping prophets we have. All our prophets are excited. They just got good news all the time. It's, it, scripture is like the weight of prophecy is heavy because God is not putting Range Rovers in your garage. That prophecy is like, let me tell you the judgment and the promise. Let me tell you what you've done and what I'm going to do. It's not going to always feel good. It's ultimately good news, but there's a weight to the call of prophecy. And it says he gives this letter to the surviving elders of the exiles, the elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile. Now, everybody wasn't in exile yet. God hadn't cleared out Jerusalem, but it was coming. And they were going to be sent to exile because they had been idolatrous. And we, I shared a message a few months ago about the Ten Commandments. Y'all, it don't get old. When God says, have no idols before me, he's not playing. He's not like saying, have a few and I'll give you a pass. No idols. And the thing about this, this uh, punishment is that God is saying, I'm sending you into exile because you've been idolatrous. Now, what I find interesting, when you look at the word exile, you think about just being sent away. But the word actually means uncover. Y'all say uncover. So you think about this cake being sliced, right? That's an uncovering, right? That's a revelation of what the substance of the thing really is. Uh, exile, more than 30 times is translated as the word uncover. The other times it's translated as the word discover. So this is not just being banished. God is saying, when I take you from the comfortable place, it's going to uncover who you are. When I put you into the foreign place, the place that feels like oppression, the place you don't want to be, that's when we're going to discover who you are and what you think about me. So everybody is in some kind of exile. You might be in exile because of your own consequences. These were the consequences of the children of Israel. That's why you can't just jump and tell everybody, I know the plans I have for you. Because that was an encouragement to people who were under the discipline of God's hand. They needed, this was not God is going to bless your new business. I know the plans God has for you. God is going to bring your husband. I know the plans God has for you. You graduated high school, college, or whatever. I know the, a hope and a future. He does have plans, but that's not what this is talking about. He's saying when you were in the foreign place, being uncovered, when your character is being discovered for what it really is, this is the message that you need. 
And here's what's fascinating. Even though the people as a group, this message, by the way, was to a group. Y'all say group. This is important. The people as a group were idolatrous in their behavior, and so they were being punished for it. But here's what you know, just by sheer statistics and numbers. Not every single person in the entire nation of Israel had committed idolatry. You know there was probably one or two who stayed prayed up, stayed bowed before the Lord. There were probably a few good families in there. But the nation was being punished because of the nation's behavior. Sometimes your exile is by association. See, sometimes the group that you're a part of is the reason that you're being uncovered. You might be in a family where the father made bad decisions, and those, those set of decisions affected the whole family. And who you are today and how your family had to adjust were because of the decisions of one person. It's not that you did it, but your exile was a result of the association of the group. It may be the city that you're from. I mean, if I go somewhere out of town, people be hating, but when I say the Cowboys are them boys, you know, they mad, because we not winning, but we still selling. They mad. <laughs> it's like exile, but I don't care. I wear my shirt. I don't care. I don't care when we last won. We went to the playoffs. They don't worry about it. You may find yourself in association. It could be a country. I mean, after 9-11, then Americans didn't care about where you were actually from, what your actual nationality. If you looked a certain way and we thought you were from a certain part of the world, you were judged. And we treated you a certain way just by association because of the actions of a few. We are a part of the broadest group, which is humanity. And we are reaping the results of Adam and Eve. And so it doesn't matter if you can't recall the last time you were idolatrous. God says, because you're a part of humanity, it's in your DNA. At the right opportunity, with the right moment, you're going to fail because Adam and Eve made a choice that they passed on to everybody. So when you talk about exile, you can save your breath asking God, why me? <laughs> He's saying, I can give you 52 reasons why you. It doesn't matter what you did today or this week. You are a part of a broader group your family, your city, your nation, humanity, and you are in constant disappointment without the blood of Jesus. So you have to understand the weight of what he's saying, that this exile didn't apply to every single individual. It was meant for the whole nation. The message wasn't for everybody, though. The promises and the instructions, these are for the children of Israel just as they are for the believers in Christ Jesus. Now, this is important because, listen, you can't skip the hard judgment and then the promise be for everybody. If the judgment is for a certain group, then the promise is for a certain group. But we want the promise for everybody. we like, you can miss me with 1 through 10, hit me with 11. I want the plans. I want the hope in the future. And God is saying, wait a minute, this was my encouragement to my people. And this is the same that's true for us. Those of us who are found in Christ Jesus, not found in church, found in Christ Jesus. These are the promises that we can lay claim to. So here's a few things that you need to understand. Number one, exile is not accidental. God knows exactly what he's doing. In verse four, he says to all the exiles whom I have sent 
into exile. We spend a lot of time, y'all, praying away things that God has purposed. And he's like, you, you're trying to get out of the thing. I'm trying to show you what I want you to get out of the thing. You're trying to get out of it. And he's trying to show you what he wants you to get out of it. The sovereignty of God is for our discipline and our testing. This is the same God who sent his own son into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. I mean, as soon as he was baptized, the dove ascended, the father was well pleased. It seemed like it was going to be all good. And God said, go get tested. I want you to go, be di- I want you to go and face the enemy. And I, wanna, I want you to fi- figure out this trial because what's coming, you're going to need this. So exile is not accidental. Here's the second point. Exile is not simply a waiting place. It's a working place. Look at all the things that God asked them to do while they're in exile, while they're being uncovered, while they are uncomfortable, being discovered, being sliced with the knife of life. He says, build houses and live in them. Now, y'all need to understand what God is asking. This is not just some small work to do. He's saying, I want you to build houses. Don't just buy and sell. He's not saying go flip houses. I know that's the thing right now. He's saying, I want you to take up residence and live there because death isn't expected just because you're in exile. I want you to have life in the place where you're the most uncomfortable, the place where you're being uncovered, cut open, discovered, the place you're trying to escape. I want you to have life there. Build houses and live. Put down roots, establish yourself. Don't just live out of your suitcase. I'm one of those people, y'all, when we travel, uh, we just traveled, and, and when I get to a hotel, I don't care if it's two, well, if I'm by myself and it's one night, I might live out of my carry-on. But I'm one of those places, I need stuff to have its place. Uh, anybody like that? Like, when you get there, you know you're gonna be there two nights. You like dresser drawers, toiletry set up. Like, I need my stuff set up because I need a whole system. I don't wanna be rummaging. You know, my, my beloved is a rummager. He just, he like, he just, I'm packing up my stuff. I'm like, boom, boom, boom. Travel compartments, travel bags, stack, stack, pins, chargers. I said, are you packing? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I just packed. <laughs> all right. All right. So we all different, but I like my stuff set up. It don't matter how long I'm going to be there. But God is saying, I want you to build houses, establish roots, because the things I'm going to require of you require roots. Plant gardens. Y'all, this takes time to sow and reap. He's saying plant gardens and then eat the produce. We're talking about seasons. He didn't say go to the grocery store. He said plant the garden, eat the produce. Then he says take wives, have children, let them get married and let them have children. Now here's what's interesting about what God is asking us to do. Number one, that exile isn't just a waiting place, it's a working place. So there's action to be taken in exile. This is not just I'm waiting on God to deliver. He said, no, no, I have things for you to do there. So when you're in the exile place, it's not just passive waiting. Now, some of you may be in, in a place where it feels like a, a career exile. You're like, how did I end up here? This wasn't the dream. This wasn't the plan. I didn't want to be in a nine to five. I didn't want to be doing this. I didn't want to be working for this organization. And God is saying, build there. Grow there. Don't worry about the next promotion where I'm going to play. Be there with all that you have and do it well. Plant. Eat. Maybe you're in a season of divorce and you're not even the one that filed for divorce. You're like, how did I end up here? Somebody else's actions put me in exile. 
And you're just waiting on something to happen in your life to be changed. And God is saying, grow there. You can build here. I don't, I don't need ideal circumstances for your growth. I am the God who brings streams in the desert. I bring growth out of the rocky places. I'm the God that brings water out of the rock. So I don't need everything to be set up and nice for you to grow, for you to thrive, for you to flourish. And here's why it's important. Because the things that God is asking them to do, y'all, are not just actions. They are indicators. They tell you about how long you're going to be there. He said, go and set up your life. Get married. Have children. Let your children marry. It is clear that he is telling them, you will be here for generations. You're going to be here for a minute. You're going to have grandchildren. They're going to be eating out of the thing you, you planted. So he's saying, I need you to not just take action, but understand that I'm going to move when I'm ready to move. So you can be wasting your life waiting on God to do something tomorrow that he has no plans to do for a while. But that's because we think that tomorrow when we're set free is when life begins. God says life starts now, wherever you are, even in exile. I'm calling you to build. It could be financial exile. Let me tell you something. I know someone who's been unemployed for three years. Three years. That's exile. Because this person had to leave the state that they were originally from under a lot of strain, under unhealthy relationships, trying to get out of an unhealthy and horrible situation. Came here with nothing. Single parent, trying to figure it out. I mean, and then they were thriving where they were. That's what happened. You know, you'll be like, God, I'm good. How did I end up here? Sometimes that leap of faith or saying yes to God sends you in a place and you feel like I'm not better off than when I was. And God is saying, you need to redefine better. You need to redefine better because you might have been successful over there, but you weren't with me. Over here in exile, with me in exile is better than without me and having everything you think you want. Because here I can allow you to build and grow. And I know this person has been here for three years without a job. And every time somebody blesses them with a financial gift, they're blown away by the provision of God. And you know what else they do? They tithe. <laughs> still tithing. Still building. Still serving. Still working. Still studying for their business to grow their business. Still being a good parent. Now, God is saying we don't have time for self-pity. We don't have time for it. There's work to do in exile, not just actions, but they're indicators. Number three, it is going to be tempting, y'all. Y'all say tempting. Mm, to exit your exile, but don't believe the lies. Ooh, it is so tempting. Goodness, you see that exit door, you're like, is that you, God? Is that you, God? Because when you're struggling and you're lonely and you're like, this singleness feels like exile, even though it's not. That's just something in our minds. And then somebody comes along that's halfway, almost can spell God. They at least got the G right. You're like, Lord, it must be you, God. It might, you know what? I, I felt a sign. You know what, God? I said, send me somebody that knows your name. And he had a G on his sweatshirt, Lord. I just... It must be you, Lord. That's what happens. 
Or God is saying, I want you to wait and trust me while I, while I build your dream. And while I'm building your dream, you might not have no income, but I'm building. And then all of a sudden, the easy way out comes, the paycheck. You're like, this guy benefits, Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if God is telling you to stay and build here, you'll be tempted to exit. But here's the thing. We listen to people, y'all, who say things that make us feel good. But it's not the word of the Lord. In verse 8 of chapter 29, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the, Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that they dream. For it's a lie. They are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now what he's talking about is Hananiah. Hananiah was a false prophet that came to them in chapter 28. And so God is like, let me just deal with that foolishness you just heard. Because what Hananiah said, y'all, in chapter 28, verse 2, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Well, we got the right talk, don't he? It sound official. Thus says the Lord of hosts. He says the same words Jeremiah says. The real prophet sound like the false prophet. He says, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. He's speaking on behalf of God. Yokes are broken. Your chains are broken. Verse 3, he says, within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconia, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles of Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of Babylon. Now, Hananiah, with all the confidence and all the right talk, was speaking on behalf of the Lord, and it was a lie. It was a lie, y'all, and it sounded good. Two years sounds better than 70. So I'm like, I'm with Hananiah. That must be the Lord. Listen, so Jeremiah was confused. And Jeremiah's such an encourager. You know, he's probably a, a real loyal, faithful. Because this is what Jeremiah said, y'all, in verse 5. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah in the presence of the priest and said to, the, and said to him, Amen. May the Lord... <laughs> May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true. Now, Jeremiah, no good and well. The Lord already told him 70 years. But, you know, he's like trying to support the people. And bring back to this place, <laughs> and bring back to this place from, the, from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. But then Jeremiah turns on him. He said, that sounds good, Hananiah. Okay, we come back in two years. All right, then. See, that don't seem like enough time to do what God said, but Okay. Then he says in verse 7, chapter 28, Yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing, in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times, well, they prophesied war and famine, pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. Now, as for the prophet who prophesies peace, Hananiah, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then we will know that the Lord has truly sent this prophet. So he said, okay. Your message somehow is different from every message before us, but we're going to let you make it. But God said, no, 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 I'm not going to wait two years. Let me tell you how it really is. This is something I just want to read to y'all real quick. 28, 15, and 16. And Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people believe a lie. Therefore, says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. 
And in the same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Y'all, it's going to be so tempting to exit your exile, but don't believe the lie. If it feels so good in your soul, then it feels better than the word of God, then you need to question it. Because God is not about the quick escape. He is about establishing yourself wherever he has you. He says, I am bigger than the exit. What I have for you is greater than deliverance. I'm greater than the solution. So people coming are going to try to feed, feed your, your instinct to want to flee. Then nobody's going to come and tell you, stay in the hard place. They're going to say, if this don't feel good, it must not be God. And God is telling you, I'm, I know it don't feel good, and I'm, I'm telling you it's me. It is me, and I have a plan for you. And so be careful when everybody has a word that says your situation is going to end before God has said it's going to end. And by the way, when you get out of it too early, you've missed the point of being in it in the first place. And you're going to find yourself just like the children of Israel circling right back around to it. So God says, you can skip school if you want to and put my name on it, but eventually you will come back to class. You're going to be in here as long as I want you to be in here. So be careful about the popularity of the prophet who always is promising the breakthrough. God says, I am the breakthrough. And if they are not of me, I will deal with them. Now, because of the grace of Jesus, we're not dropping dead like we should. But God will deal with them. And you have to be careful because when you make those promises and they don't come to pass, they make God look like he's a liar. But he's not the liar. It's the prophet who was enticing us to exit the exile who was saying, this can't be of God. It's not good for you. God wants you to be happy. Let me tell you something. Happiness is not the same as hope. And many people have ended their lives and been in dark places while they looked happy on the outside. God says you can have hope, but you've got to cling to my word. Don't be tempted to exit the exile, y'all. Number four, here are our last two points. Hope is possible in hard places because God knows the plan. This seems so simple, y'all. Verse 10, he says, for thus says the Lord. Now, after he's talked about this exile and what I want you to do while you're here, you're working, taking action, putting a roots, building, growing. He says, do not decrease, by the way, in those, in those set of actions that he gives to build and to plant and to take wise and to grow. He says, do not decrease. I don't want this exile to conquer you. I want you to conquer it. While you're here, I want you to grow and thrive and multiply. Be fruitful. Do the thing I've always asked you to do. It don't matter where you're doing it. The thing I've always asked you to do still stands. And when you continue to increase, not only will you show the world that your God is greater than your circumstance, you will make the place you're in better than it was when you came. He says, I want you to pray, be concerned about the welfare of your city, be concerned about the environment of your exile. The job you're trying to leave might be the place God wants you to bring change. The family that you're trying to cut off, trying to act like you don't have no family. Some of y'all are like, I'm not going home for the holidays. I don't know what they're doing. God is like, listen, 
you might be the only one that's saved. You might be the only one that loves me. I want you to go back there and build and plant and eat and grow. Do not decrease because I want my people to infiltrate the place of exile. That's how God takes over the world, church. He doesn't take it over by sending light into lit places. He sends light into dark places. And so do you know that even if you're on punishment, because some of us are on punishment, you know, you know when it's our fault. We can't even say nothing, God, but I'm sorry. And thank you for it, that, it, that the punishment wasn't worse. Because it's our fault. We are the reason we are in the place we are. And God says, even on punishment, I have a purpose for you. I'm not going to send you to time out. I'm still putting you in the game. I want you to come in here on punishment, knowing that I still love you, still have purpose for you. And I want you to build and grow and increase so much so that you change the place that I've sent you. I want you to change where you are. I don't want it to change you. Y'all, there are places, hard things that God will allow in our lives that are not meant to send us into deep, dark depression. They're meant to bring out a new kind of deliverance for the people who are around. Don't let the thing that God just used to humble you break you. He's saying, I'm not trying to kill you. I could have done that on my own. Check Hananiah. I know how to kill folks. <laughs> I know how to take lives when you're against me. But do you see the difference? A false prophet who had a heart of evil against the Lord versus people like us who were just broken, making mistakes. And God says, I might take you away for a minute, but it's still going to be for your good. So even in the hard place, y'all, we can have hope because God knows the plan. In verse 10, he says, thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete, and that's not the two that Hannah and I was talking about, 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you fulfill my promise to you and bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare excuse me and not for evil to give you a future and a hope now when you read all of this before you get to verse 10 and 11 now you realize this is a conclusion it's not an out of context let me just tell somebody this when they're having a hard day God is saying, listen, I know it's about to be hard. I know the next 70 years are not going to be easy. But you can do it with my power and in my name. And let me tell you why you can do it. Because I know what I'm doing. There's hope in hard places because God has a plan. The plan might not be, actually, probably will never be your plan. But it is a plan. And God is saying to you, the encouragement of the hope is because of who I am. I know what I'm doing. This is the conclusion that God brings the people to. He says, for I know, not the Hananiahs, not the false prophets, I know the plan I have for you. And the scripture tells us that his thoughts, some of your versions say, I know the thoughts I have towards you. That God is thinking about you. He's inclined towards you. He hasn't forgotten about you in exile. Everything's intentional. Everything has a plan. He says, my plans are not your plans. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And remember, you didn't ask questions when I favored you and you did not deserve it. When you got what you have and you cannot explain why you have it, you were cool then. You didn't need all the explanation and the detail. 
So when the hard things come, I need you to trust me the same way. When you all of a sudden got pregnant and it didn't make no sense, nobody had any questions. When you got that job you weren't qualified for, nobody had any questions. When you moved to this city and found work when everybody else was unemployed, nobody had questions. When your family that you've been estranged from, suddenly you were able to find forgiveness and reconciliation, you're like, I don't know how this happened. Nobody had any questions. When the healing all of a sudden happened because you went to the doctor on the third visit and the thing had shrunk, it didn't make sense. The doctor couldn't explain why they couldn't see what they saw last time. Nobody had any questions. We said, but God. So he says, when you're in the hard place, I still want you to say, but God. I still want you to say, but God. There's hope in this thing because of who I am. The plans God has for you. This is what Abraham had to know when he was walking Isaac up that hill. I know the plans. What David had to know when he was facing the consequences of his own adultery and his own planned murder of another person. God said, I know the plans that I have for you. What Mary had to feel when she was now pregnant, immaculately so, no one could explain this, a virgin carrying Messiah that we've been hearing about for years. What is the weight of that? I know the plans I have for you. For Peter, when he found himself denying Jesus and then later having to face Jesus, God says, I'm going to build my church. I know the plans I have for you. Paul, actively seeking to destroy the church of God. And God says, hold on, that's enough. I know the plans I have for you. Even Jesus himself, in all of his deity and his godness, knew that the cross was necessary. But in all of his humanity, wanted another way. When he said, not my will, but your will, he's saying, I know you know the plan, Father. I know you know the plan. So God is saying, wherever you are, I know the plan I have for you. And it's not a plan for your destruction. I am not setting you up to fail. I'm not setting you up to be miserable. God is saying, I want you to thrive where you are because I know what's coming next. Now, my timing of next and your timing of next might not be the same. But there's a plan coming. And it's a good plan. He said, it is plans for your welfare. Plans for that are not for evil, but for your prosperity, to give you a future and a hope. So God says, I want to be the source of your hope. Hope is possible, y'all, in hard places, because God knows the plan. And lastly, hope is possible in hard places because God keeps his promises. He's a promise keeper, y'all. And sometimes you have to recall past promises to remind yourself that God really does have a plan. We all have a situation today that we would not have chosen the path that got us here, but we're glad we're here. And you look back and say, God, I wouldn't have picked that way, but I am so glad I ended up here. I'm so glad I ended up here. I look at the place I left, and I thought that was going to be the place of my thriving. And you brought me to the place I didn't even want to be. Some of y'all haven't even, you living in apartments, trying to put down the least amount of roots, trying to get out of here as soon as you can. And God is saying, I want you to find a way to take residence here. Be here, live, grow. I have a plan for you here. And it's a good plan. 
But here's the challenge. The hope that we have, church, is God himself. Y'all, the hope is God. Because the Bible says that he's the God of hope. That he is not the God who just gives hope. He himself is the hope. Now, this sounds real spiritual, but here's the thing. I don't really think that most people struggle with hopelessness. When I think about the darkness and the despair that's taken over our culture, I don't think it's hopelessness. I don't think it's a lack of hope. I don't think it's missing hope. I think it's misplaced hope. Because we hope in something. We all hope in something. We want some kind of success, some kind of security, some kind of significance. All of those things we spend our energy trying to achieve. We're going into debt to be significant, to have success, to have a title. We're losing friendships. We're we killing, we're not able to serve and thrive in our purpose because we're trying to be successful. What does that mean? What does it mean to be significant? What does it mean to be secure? Let me store up, save up, save up, save up, save up, because I don't know what's going on with these markets. Let me make sure I got all my bases covered. Whatever you got covered, God can uncover. That's exile. That's what it means to be uncovered. But what happens is it's not a missing hope, it's a misplaced hope or it's a misunderstood hope. And so what I say is, really, God, I'm hoping in this career and I would like you to come assist me with my hope. And God is saying, I don't assist with hope. I am the hope. And so I don't come alongside your dream to help your dream come to fruition. I give you the dream and then I will make that dream come to pass. The dream I give you and the goal you set, mine is going to always be greater. But we get in trouble because we have a hope and we want God to come alongside and assist. And when he does not, we say God has failed. Where is God? God is far from me. God, this is what I've been asking for and praying for month after month, year after year. And he's like, why? Why? If you hope in me, then I will tell you what you need to be asking for. Because by the time I tell you, it's already in motion. You don't have to wonder what's coming. But God is not meant to assist you with your hope. God is meant to be your hope. God is saying, I want you to anchor yourself in me. If your soul's deepest satisfaction is not in God. And y'all, I know this is not the popular message of the day. Listen, the worst advice I've ever heard is believe in yourself. Unpopular alert. The worst advice I've ever heard is believe in yourself. I don't know about you. Maybe y'all are amazing humans. I don't want to believe in myself. I'm not even my same self to the people that I love, let alone if I don't like you. The people that I love the most, I'm not the same Jada every day. We're 21 years in. My husband's trying to still figure out who he get every day. It depends on the mood. A cloud passed over. I'm irritated. I don't know what happened. Couldn't find a parking spot. Mad for two days. I don't, anything can happen. Anything can happen. I don't understand. It was a good hair day. I'm in a happy mood. Y'all can do what y'all want today. It's like, I don't want to believe in myself. Anchoring your hope in yourself is the worst possible thing you could do in this life. God says, why would you anchor in something that you know is unstable? It doesn't make sense. No ship pulls up to the shore and says, drop the anchor in the grass. They say, tie it to the dock. 
They want to tie it to the thing that has piers and beams that have been dug deep below the surface so there's foundation and stability. So when all that drifting comes and those storms start to move, the boat may drift, but it won't break away. So I need to know that there is hope for me in hard places because God has a plan and because God keeps his promises. But church, if you find yourself hoping in something so desperately, I can guarantee you that if God gives it to you, if he gives it to you, it's not going to meet your expectations. It's going to fail. And the despair and depression of the soul cannot handle that kind of constant disappointment. God says, if you would anchor to me, not just next to me so I can bless you, but really be anchored to me. This is why you find people when life happens, they feel they seem unfazed by it. It's not that we're not deeply disappointed. It's not that we're not hurt, but we're not broken. I'm not contemplating death. I still see value in life. You cannot tell a person who's in a dark place. I've known a person who's taken their life. It's serious. You cannot tell a person who is contemplating suicide. People love you. People need you here. Stay with us. We, people, there's people that need you. There's things for you. Look at your life. Your life is happy. That does not keep a person from taking their life. As a matter of fact, it might make them feel heavier. The only thing that saves life from the inside out is God himself. The only thing. Because if there's no person whispering in your ear, if you don't pick up the phone or call a hotline, no one's telling you that you need to stay here, that this is a better place, it is the soul's connection with God. When God says, I want you here. When God whispers in that dark place, and you're like, God, I'm done. It's all I can take. He says, I want you here. In the stillness, when no one calls back, when no one texts back, when you don't find the right quote in your scrolling that day, God says, I have a plan. I have a plan. And it's a good plan. It's so good. And I cannot guarantee that it's going to be on your timeline. Thank you, Ms. Harris. But it's going to be good for you. And if you listen to me and hope in me, not only will you change your life, even before I change your situation, you'll change the life of generations to come. Generations to come. I need y'all to understand that when God says 70 years, think about that. There were people who would not see the end of exile. There were adults who were going to die in exile. And he didn't say, I only want you to build and eat and plant and grow if you're under 20. If you're going to see the end. I only want you to thrive if you are going to see the deliverance. I want everybody to build and to grow and to thrive. Because you know what? When I say yes to God now, in the place of exile, I'm setting my child up 
to be able to say yes. In their place of exile, you can break the curse of depression and suicide for your children and grandchildren by how you respond today. I feel like Jeremiah. I'm the weeping prophet today. I'm, I'm going to tell you why it makes me cry, though, y'all, because I look around in our society and I just see death, suicide, depression. And when people die, the people around them who are left, they don't know what to do. All they can say is sending light, sending love. I don't know. I, I just saw you last week and things looked fine. I just looked at your social media and two days ago, y'all were smiling and laughing. Because happiness is not hope. It's not the same thing. And we're in a culture that needs more than good vibes. They need more than positive energy. They need more than dove emojis and white hearts. They need somebody to say that when no one else is around, if you anchor your hope in God, even in the midst of your exile, even in the place you don't want to be, even when someone else is luring you to exit and to leave quickly and God's saying stay, that you can hope in hard places because I know the plans I have for you. And they are plans to give you a hope and a future. You know what that word hope means, y'all? It means cord. This is not something that's surreal and, and, and like intangible. He's saying a cord. The future, that word means an expected end. God says, I have an intentional end for your current exile, and I have a cord to get you through tomorrow's exile. I'm going to connect you to me so you don't have to be floating around unanchored, wondering what's coming your way. It won't matter because you're anchored to a God who does not change. Anchored to an unchanging God. I need to know that you're going to commit today that regardless of whatever knives 2023 has coming for you, that you can anchor your hope in God. Not in the things God can do for you. In God alone. Can we make that commitment today, church, to anchor our hope in God?